Thank you for checking out the sermon at Hope Church. We exist to connect people to live the life of a Jesus follower. We're excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. We just want to make you aware of a couple things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks by searching at Hope Church LV. Also, be sure to check out our website, hopechurchonline.com. There, you have access to other resources, information about who we are, and where we're going as a church, as well as an opportunity to give to what God is doing through our church. Once again, thanks for checking out this sermon. Please let us know if there's any questions you have or any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. The summer of 1991. If you can remember back to that summer. (laughs) Summer of 1991 was a life-changing summer for me. Let me tell you why. I had just finished my sophomore year of college and had gone through the summer of that year. In my freshman and sophomore year of college, I've told you many times I came to Christ as a freshman in college. And so my freshman and sophomore year of college, God obviously was doing a lot in my life. And yet I was still, you know, trying to pursue the things that I wanted to pursue and wrestling with my new faith and Obviously, you're in college. One of the things that you begin to pursue is you begin to pursue relationships, right? And so for me in college, my freshman and sophomore years, I went through a a series of different relationships with uh, young ladies, just trying to find that, that person, trying to look for that someone. And it was by the end of my sophomore year and what God was doing in my life that God began to really bring me to a place of complete contentment in Him. And by that, I mean this, that that I had, up until that point in my very new Christian faith, I was pursuing the Lord, but also was equally trying to pursue a relationship with somebody else. And and God had to bring me through some stuff to bring me to a place where I I got to where I was content with Him, to the point that, that I even prayed. God, if you want me to be single for the rest of my life, God, it's not what I want to do, but Lord, it's what I'm willing to do, because God, I just want to be content in you. Now, in praying that, I also made a list, a very specific list of 20 different things that I was looking for in that person, but I told the Lord, Lord... I'm done looking for this, but just in case you need help, I'm content with you, but if you're going to bring her, here's what it looks like in my book. And I just began to pray over that list. And it was really a a period, I'm kind of joking about it, but a period where God just did some deep stuff in me, where I was just content in Him. But, But I also knew that He said that He would give us the desires of our heart if we'd find contentment in Him. And so I just began to pray over that list. And I'd finished my sophomore year, and towards the end of the summer, I had a very good friend whose name was Scott Underwood. And Scott and I had grown up together. We'd done a whole lot of stuff together. And Scott was a good friend, and he was going to a different college in the same town. And so I was over at his house just hanging out one afternoon. And I'm hanging out there, and a young lady walks into Scott's house. And this young lady walks in because she and Scott were singing on the same musical team at this other community college. They were singing on this little travel musical group together. And this lady walked through the door. 
And when she walked through the door, I knew that was her. In my heart of hearts, I said, Lord, if you didn't get my list, that's her right there. That was in August. By November, we were engaged to be married. May the 23rd of 1992, I married that woman that walked through that door. Her name, you know her as Christy. Now, I told you that because in November, we got engaged and we set that date for May the 23rd. Every day of my life, from November to May 23rd, was lived in anticipation of May the 23rd. I couldn't wait for May the 23rd to get here. May the 23rd of 1992 is when I married my wife. We've been married now over 22 years. But from November of 1991 to May of 1992, everything in my life changed in anticipation of that day. The way I spent my time changed in anticipation of May the 23rd, 1992, where where I didn't have any of that stuff in my calendar before. Now my whole calendar revolved around. And some of you, if you're engaged right now to be married, you know what I'm talking about. Your whole life right now is evolving and revolving around that day that is coming, my, my time, the way that I began to spend my money changed in light of May the 23rd, 1992, because it was coming. Even down to the way that, that my thoughts were directed moment by moment, my thinking changed. In light of me, I would find myself in class or at work, and my mind would be thinking about what it was going to be like to be with her for the rest of my life. Did I still have to go to work? Sure, I still had to go to work, but my job seemed a whole lot less stressful. In the anticipation of May the 23rd, did I still have to go to college and go to class? Yes, I was still in school, but, but my classes sure seemed a whole lot easier in light of May the 23rd coming. Everything in my life changed because I was living in the hope of that day. Hope. Changes everything. And that is exactly the mindset Simon Peter has as he's writing to a group of Christians in the first century who are living in the middle of some difficult circumstances. And in the middle of those difficult circumstances, He writes to them, and if you're visiting with us, we are studying straight through this wonderful letter called 1 Peter, Together as a Family of Faith. If you have your Bible, I want you to open it to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse number 13. This morning, we're only going to look at one verse of Scripture, 1 Peter chapter 1, 
verse 13. Listen what Peter says. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your, say it out loud, hope. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter talks to him about hope. But he begins with a little word, therefore. Now, if you've been attending hope for any length of time at all, you know what I'm about to say because you've heard me say it over and over and over again. But I hope you've heard me say it so much that now when you read the Bible, you think it and you even hear me in your mind say, whenever you see the word therefore, you need to look and see what it's there for, right? Because the word therefore is an important word in the Greek language. It's a word of transition. It's a word that moves from one thought to the other. In the Greek text, here's what it means. It's as if the writer is saying, based on what I have just said, now I want to draw this conclusion. So with that word, therefore, Peter is taking them back to everything he'd been saying in the first 12 verses of this letter. Now, that makes us understand or makes us ask the question, what has Peter just said? Well, remember, we've unpacked it for the last five or six or seven weekends together. Peter has just reminded them that God began a story before the foundation of the world. Before the first star ever twinkled in the sky. Before the first sunrise ever came across the landscape of of our nation. Before there was ever a human being breathing on planet earth. God began an incredible story. And Peter reminded these Christians who were struggling and suffering that they were a big part of God's story. Before the foundation of the world, if you and I are believers in Jesus Christ... Before the foundation of the world, the Bible teaches us that God set his heart on us. And Peter had also told them that God is now at work in this world, moving this story towards a grand climax that is glorious. The the end of the age, the second coming of Jesus Christ. And here's what Peter says to them. In light of that, therefore... I want you to fix your hope on the grace that is going to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Here's what Peter says to them in a couple of phrases. First of all, he uses that phrase, the revelation of Jesus Christ. What is that talking about? Well, it's interesting. That phrase here in 1 Peter is the exact same Greek phrase that opens the book of Revelation at the end of the Bible. Exact same construction, exact same grammar, exact same phrase. So with that phrase, the revelation of Jesus Christ, Peter is referring to the glorious second coming of Jesus and the bringing of the world as we know it to an end and the beginning of eternity with God in heaven. And Peter tells them, I want you to Fix your hope. Here's what he's saying. This thing is real. 
God began something before the world was created. And God is now at work completing that wonderful story of which you and I are a part. And one glorious day, Jesus Christ is going to return. He is coming. Listen, that is not theory. That is not pie in the sky by and by. That is what the Word of God says. As sure as you and I are sitting in this building, today could be the day that the Lord Himself will descend sin from heaven with a shout with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God and then the dead in Christ are going to be raised first then we who are alive and remain are going to be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and then we will always be with the Lord and here's what Peter says Peter says today And he doesn't suggest it. It's an imperative in the text. You and I should wrap our hearts around. We should fix our hope. We should live every moment of every day in light of the reality that he is coming. He's coming. Now, this word hope, as Peter uses it here, is probably better translated confident expectation because when we hear the word hope what comes to mind often is wishful thinking we might say I hope my team wins this game right for the last two weeks of my life I have found myself on a Saturday afternoon on my knees hugging a stool in my living room Hoping that my team can win the game. Friday night, I was at the UNLV basketball game. And I was standing there in those stands in the closing seconds of that game. And I was hoping that UNLV was going to win that basketball game. Which we did. Amen. Go Rebels. But but when when I use that word hope in that context, I hope my team is going to win this game. That that is a a hope that I don't have any control over. I'm hoping, meaning I'm wishing, but I don't know. I don't know if my team's going to win this game. I don't know which way that ball is going to bounce. I don't know if those players are going to do what they're supposed to do. But the kind of hope that Peter is writing about here is not wishful thinking. It is confident expectation. Listen to the way R.C. Sproul described it. Look at this on the screen. He said, hope is faith. Looking to the future with the full assurance that God will do what He promises He will do. God has said in His Word that all of time as we know it is coming to an end. The glorious return of Jesus the eternal reign of the kingdom of God. And everything in my life changes when I'm living with the hope of that day. Now now think about what I said earlier. Think about it now in this context. When you and I really wrap our hearts around that Jesus is coming, hey, listen to me. Jesus is coming. I want you to look at the person next to you and say, Jesus is coming. 
I want you to look at the person on the other side and say it again. Jesus is coming. Listen, look at me. Now look at me, look at me. That's for real. That's not just church stuff. That's not just an emotional pick-me-up to help us cope with the realities of life. Listen, I'm telling you, Jesus is coming. And listen to me. When we know he's coming, it'll change the way we spend our time. Come on now. When, when we know he's coming, it'll change the way we manage our resources. Hey, let me ask you something. If you knew he was coming today, I'd change the way we spent today, wouldn't it? The ball game this afternoon just became a lot less significant, right? When I know he's coming, and I live with the hope and the assurance that Jesus is coming, listen, it even changes the way that I work my job. It changes the way that I plan my future. It even changes the way that I think moment by moment. And Peter is writing to them and says, listen, based on what I've said, remember what I said? There's a story. And God's bringing this story to a glorious conclusion. And you and I are a part of the story. Therefore... Wrap your hope on that day and live every moment of every day in light of that glorious day. That's what he means when he says fix your hope. And then what he does in this verse is he gives us two practical exhortations of what it looks like to fix our hope on that day. What does it look like day in and day out practically for me to live in light of the second coming of Jesus Christ? Well, he gives us two things. Here's the first one. Be ready. Be ready. Look back at verse 13. He says, therefore, prepare your minds for action. He says, therefore, and the big verb in this verse is, therefore, fix your hope on the glorious revelation of Jesus and the grace that's going to be brought to you. But in the meantime, here's what you do. Prepare your minds for action. It's an interesting Greek word. As a matter of fact, what you just read here in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, prepare your minds for action, is the only place in the entire New Testament this Greek word is even used. It's not used anywhere else in the New Testament. It's a very unique word. Here's what it literally means. If you're carrying around a King James copy of the Bible, your, your translation may even say it this way. Here's what it literally means. Therefore, gird the loins of your mind. Gird up your loins. That's not one we throw around every day, right? What in the world does that mean? Well, here's what it was. It was a Middle Eastern culture. In the Middle Eastern culture, men and women alike, their daily dress, their daily attire was long flowing robes. And so anytime one of the men or women was going to exert energy, if they were going to 
go for a, a, a run to something, if they were going to do some hard work, if they were going to have to walk quickly, what they would do is they would reach down and they would, from the back, pull those robes up and they would take those robes and they would tie them into their belt so that it took those robes and really made it almost like a pair of shorts. And they called that girding your loins. They were grabbing those robes and they were tucking it into a belt so that it, it removed those robes from being a hindrance as they ran. And what it was was they were preparing themselves to be ready to respond to whatever was about to happen. Now, you know my love for baseball. I love the game of baseball. For me, when I'm in a baseball stadium watching a game of baseball, the whole world just slows down. It's like everything outside of the stadium just becomes blurry for me. I love watching the game of baseball. I love playing the game of baseball growing up. When I first moved to Las Vegas, one of the things that we did to begin as church planners to build relationships in our city. My boys were, my kids were seven, five, and three when we moved here. Um, and, and we started getting involved in T-ball and Little League, and I coached several years of baseball. I love the game of baseball. And in baseball, when you are coaching infielders, one of the things you teach infielders is to always be on their toes. When you're playing infield in baseball, you never sit on your heels. You always sit on your toes. Because if you're on your toes in baseball, on your toes means you are ready to respond. Wherever the ball is hit, if you're on your heels, there's no way you're getting to that ball. But if you're playing infield and you're on your toes, when the ball is hit, you can immediately respond. It's the same idea of gird your loins in the Middle Eastern first century culture. We would say, get on your toes. It's the idea of being ready. It is a spirit of readiness. And what, what Peter says here is that we are to prepare our mind. Meaning that this idea of readiness is something that he's talking about in our intellectual or thinking capacity. Let me try to draw the line for you about what he's saying here. Understanding that God is at work in this world. And understanding that we are moving towards the glorious second coming of Jesus. I must stay focused and ready. To join in God's activity around me. Therefore, God's at work in the world. God's got a great story that began before the foundations of the earth. And this great story is moving towards a glorious climax. Therefore, here's what I want you to do. God's at work. Jesus is coming. You get ready. Because he's at work all around you. And you need to be ready to respond to God's activity. One of the most profound Bible studies <coughs> I have ever been through is called Experiencing God. If you have never been through Experiencing God by Henry Blackaby, I cannot tell you how highly I recommend that you go through Experiencing God. We offer it here in our Life Center uh, recurringly. Experiencing God by Henry Blackaby, one of the most profound Bible studies I've ever been through. In that wonderful Bible study, he points out a verse of Scripture right at the very beginning of the study. I want to put it up on the screen. John chapter 5, verse 17. Here's what he said. My Father is working until now, and I myself am working. That's Jesus speaking. My Father is working until now. 
It's literally in the present active tense. It means that it's describing an ongoing, continuous action. And here's the principle that Blackaby teaches. God is always at work around you. God is always at work around me. Say that with me. God is always at work around me. One, two, three. God is always at work around me. Here's what that means. Every day, God is accomplishing His eternal story all around us. Every day, God is on a mission moving towards the glorious second coming of Jesus. So tomorrow when you get up and go to work, God is at work all around you. That's what Jesus said. My Father is constantly at work. What's He doing? Accomplishing His mission. Writing that story. Moving towards a grand glorious conclusion of that story. At your job tomorrow, God is always at work around you. Here's what Peter's saying. Are you on your toes? Are you ready? Are you thinking? God's at work all around me. Are you looking for God's activity? Tomorrow morning, if you get up and you're a student and you go to school, here's what I want you to know. At your school, God is at work all around you. That's not a maybe. Well, maybe God's at work. No, 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 no. God is at work all around you. Have you prepared your mind to be looking for God's activity? Tomorrow, if you go to the store, the mall or Walmart or the grocery store or Target, if you go to the store tomorrow, here's what I want you to know. God's at work all around you. Here's the issue. Are we ready? If you're on your heels, you're going to miss it. That ball is going to be in the outfield before you even knew it got hit. In your home. God's at work all around you. In your neighborhood. I got to tell you this quick story. This is this this was a, this, this blew my mind last week, and it shouldn't blow my mind. I'll tell you why in a minute. But 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 last week we got a guy in our church named Victor. Victor came up to me last week, standing right here, and he said, "Pastor, I got to tell you this story." And people do that all the time, and you know I, I listen, and, and sometimes you're thinking, "What in the world?" Is... But he starts telling me this story, and I'm telling you, <laughs> I'm captivated by this story. Here's what he tells me: He's going down to California on business. And, and God put a young man here in Las Vegas on his heart named Joshua. That's a distant relative. And he said, God put it on my heart to invite him to go with me so I could talk to him about the Lord on my drive to California. So he said, I invited him and I tried, but he just wouldn't come. So I take off to California feeling kind of defeated and thinking, man, God put Joshua on my heart, but he wouldn't come. And he said, I'm driving and I'm about, you know, close to Baker. And he said, I'm thinking maybe... Maybe, maybe I should turn around and go back and just try harder. And he looks up and out in the desert, there's a guy walking with a, like a turban on his head. And he thinks, that's the strangest thing I've ever seen. And 
The guy's just walking, and <laughs> Victor's driving, and he says, all at once, I sense the Holy Spirit of God say, you need to pull over and ask that guy if he needs a ride. And Victor said, God, you're crazy. You've got to be crazy. <laughs> Have you seen the news? That guy's got a turban on. What are you talking about? But Victor said, I became so impressed that the Holy Spirit of God wanted me to pull over. I pulled over, and I'm, he said, I'm literally, I'm walking around my truck, and I'm thinking, what am I doing? He says, and I lean up on my truck thinking, this is the craziest thing. And he said, the guy starts walking straight towards me. He said, the guy gets all the way over to me, and I said, hey, uh, sir, you need a ride? <laughs> and he says, yes, I need a ride. And they get in the car. He says, hey, my name's Victor. He said, what's your name? Joshua. Joshua, what you doing walking out here? Well, I live in Las Vegas, going to see my mom in California. And I just felt like, you know, I need to find God. So maybe if I walk, I'll find God somewhere out in that desert. For two hours, they talked about the Lord all the way to California. Exchanged information. Victor said, he said, man, I've read every book. Y'all sell at the resource center out there. And he said, man, you'll never believe. Every question he asked was in one of them books. Why do I tell you that story? Here's why I tell you that story. Because that shouldn't be unusual. You see, God's at work all around us. The problem is... We're not on our toes most of the time, and we just drive right by it. Are we thinking? Have we prepared our minds for action? How, how do you live ready? Let me give you a couple of practical suggestions. How do we do this? Number one, there's daily preparation. And that's time alone with God. I must fix my heart on God daily. Otherwise, I focus on my agenda, not His. I'm reading a little book right now by Andrew Murray called The True Vine. This morning I was reading it, and this quote was in it this morning in today's reading. Look at it on the screen. Each day in our quiet time with Him and His Word, our chief thought and aim should be to get the heart fixed on him. How long should I have in my how, how long should I spend time with God? Let me tell you how long till your heart gets fixed on him. That takes 10 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour till my heart's fixed on him. Because here's what the reality is. Here's what Peter said. Today he's at work all around us. It's moving towards a glorious climax. And I need to live my life today in light of the fact that he's writing this story. And God's at work all around me, so I need to be on my toes. So God, I need you to capture my heart today, because in my flesh, I'm not going to focus on your agenda. I'm going to focus on mine. So God, I need you to grab my heart today so that my mind is ready. There's a daily preparation, time with God. Secondly, there's a moment-by-moment preparation. It's constant conversation with God, where I begin throughout my day to have a conversation. When I, when I am experiencing something throughout my day, it begins to be, God, is this you at work? 
If you find yourself in a strange circumstance that you didn't expect to be in that day, maybe God put you there for a reason. Have you stopped to say, God, why am I here? You ever think that flat tire wasn't God just trying to teach you patience? (laughs) But that flat tire was because there was somebody at the tire store you were going to that God wanted to make himself known to and God wanted to put you there so he could love them through you? You see, if I'm not ready, I don't think like that. I'm just too mad my tire's flat. (laughs) But if I'm ready... Look at this quote by Henry Blackaby. It's in his study, Experiencing God. I love this. The key to knowing God's voice is not a formula. It's not a method you can follow. Knowing God's voice comes from an intimate love relationship with God. Your relationship to Him is of utmost importance. That's what Peter says here. Hey, He's coming. Be ready. Let me give you a second thing. Be careful. Look what he says back in verse 13. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. But secondly, keep sober in spirit. These two participles are sandwiched in between that therefore and fix your hope. Based on what I've said, he's coming. Live your life with that confident expectation every moment of every day wrapped around that big event that's coming. Now, here's what I want you to do. Be ready. Prepare your mind for action. Number two, be careful. Keep sober in spirit. The word keep sober here is is the Greek phrase that literally means to, to, to avoid being drunk or under the influence of alcohol. Now, it's interesting that in the New Testament, this word, that that's the literal meaning of it in the New Testament, it's never used literally, although the Bible does teach it's unwise to be drunk with alcohol. But in the New Testament, this word is always used metaphorically to talk about not being under the influence, not just of alcohol, but of anything other than the Holy Spirit of God. So the principle here that he's unpacking for us is that the believers should be careful about what they are allowing to dominate or influence their lives. And it's here in the present tense, meaning that I am to not only be ready for God's activity around me, but I am to constantly be careful about the things that I'm allowing to influence me. Why? Because He's coming! And if I let all this other stuff influence me, guess what? I miss out on being a part of the mission that's going to result in the glorious coming of Jesus. I'm going to stand there on that day with him and go, man, I wasted a lot of time. He warns us to be careful. It raises the question, what are you and I allowing to have the dominant influence In the way we think, the way we order our time, the way we manage our resources, the way we spend our career. Here's what Peter says. The dominant influence ought to be, he's coming. He's coming. This is not a new concept. The Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, teaches this principle of being careful about what influences. You look over to... The Old Testament book of Proverbs, 
Those of you that have heard me teach for length of time know my love for the book of Proverbs. I try to read the proverb daily that corresponds to the day of the month. There are 31 days in most months, and the book of Proverbs has 31 chapters. So for over 30 years of my life now, I've been trying. Hadn't done it probably 70% of the time, but trying to daily read the proverb. I take breaks every once in a while, but read the proverb that goes with the day of the month. There's so much wisdom in Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, look what the proverb said. Watch over your heart with all diligence. What's he saying? Same thing Simon Peter said to the first century church. Be careful, guard your heart about what you allow to influence. Why? Look at it, verse 23. For from it flows the springs of life. What I allow to have influence into my life, here's what he says, is what is going to ultimately come out of my life. So Simon Peter says to these Christians, because we're living in light of the glorious second coming of Jesus, and we want that to be the dominant influence in how we live and make decisions, Peter says, be careful, keep sober, watch over what you allow to influence you. The writer of Proverbs says, be careful about what you allow to influence you, because what you let in is what's coming out. Look what he goes on to say, verse 24. Put away from you a deceitful mouth and put devious speech far from you. Let your eyes look directly ahead and let your gaze be fixed straight in front of you. Watch over the path of your feet and your ways will be established. Do not turn to the right nor to the left. Turn your foot from evil. He tells us to be careful and then he gives us some great questions to ask. Let me just give them to you. Three, you want to write these down. Three questions to evaluate if I'm keeping sober in spirit. If I'm guarding the things that influence me. Here's question number one. Who am I listening to? Who am I listening to? The writer of Proverbs begins by talking about a deceitful mouth. It's a word that means crooked in Hebrew. It means it doesn't line up with the truth. Am I allowing those to speak into my life that do not line up with the truth of God's Word? And there's a a variety of ways to think about this. First of all, just relationally. Think about this. Who do you go to when you need counsel? Does what they say line up with the truth of God's Word? Here's what Simon Peter's saying. I need to be careful that I'm allowing people to speak into my life whose lifestyle and what they say is consistent with the Word of God. Relationally, who is speaking into my life? If you're a a single adult or a single young person or college student, relationally, the person that you're connecting with, How are they influencing your life? This isn't just a relational thing, though. This idea of who am I listening to is also a thing we need to think about when we think about the media. The movies we watch, the music we listen to, the websites we surf, the books that we read. And I'm not just talking about you need everything to be Christian. Listen, I'm saying even inside a Christian you need to be careful. Listen to me. I want you to hear me very carefully. I want to challenge you. Make sure, even with this preacher right here, you make sure that what you're reading and what you're being taught is consistent with the truth of the Word of God. And if it's not, 
Don't listen to it. Don't read it. Don't attend their conferences. Don't buy their books. Don't listen to their messages online. Don't watch them on television. If it's not consistent with the character of God and the truth revealed in His Word, listen, there's a lot of pop psychology out there that sounds really good to the ear. And even Timothy, when Paul was writing to him, said, in the last days they're going to accumulate teachers in accordance with their own desires because they want to have their ears tickled. Be careful about who you're listening to. Just because they smile and say Jesus doesn't mean it's of God. Be careful. You say, that's harsh. I didn't say it. Peter said it. He said, be careful. If we're going to live in light of the second coming of Jesus, we need to be careful about who we're allowing to influence our lives. Not just in relationships and media, but social media, all of these things. So question one, who am I listening to? Here's another question. Number two, what am I looking at? He said in Proverbs in verse 25, let your eyes look directly ahead. The word look there in Hebrew is a word that describes a sense of looking intensely in a focused way at something to gaze or to capture your attention. What he's really asking there is, what's got your attention captured? Are you captivated by the second coming of Jesus? Are you captivated by being successful? Are you captivated by the glorious return of our Lord? Are you captivated by building your retirement portfolio? Are you captivated by the eternal mission of God? Are you captivated by accumulating material possessions? Here's what Peter says. If we're going to live in light of the second, if we're going to fix our hope, we got to be careful about what we're looking at. Here's the third question. Where am I going? Again, the writer of Proverbs says, watch, your, watch the path of your feet. The word path means course or track. And he's describing the normal environments that you place yourself in. If you want to do what Simon Peter said and begin to keep sober and not just be ready but also be careful, Lay that down on your life. Who am I listening to? What am I looking at? What's captivated my attention? Where am I going? What environments do I consistently place myself in? Do they line up with the hope that I'm supposed to fix my heart around? Peter's not the only one to write these principles. Look at this verse on the screen. I'll close with this. 1 John chapter 3. John writes and he says, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when He appears, we will be like Him, because we will see Him just as He is. Now listen to what he said. And everyone, everyone who has his hope fixed on Him, purifies himself just as He is. Purifies himself. What does that mean? It means to constantly engage in the struggle against sin, the flesh, the world. When I've got my hope fixed on the fact that one day he is coming. Listen to me. Hope changes everything.